You're listening to the Inglewood College Podcast. Inglewood College is a ministry of Inglewood Baptist Church in Jackson, Tennessee. We believe that just because this season is temporary doesn't mean it can't be deeply transformative. Love God. Love people. Serve the world. We have been working through the Shepherd Psalm, what you might have heard as the Shepherd Psalm, Psalm 23 for the last uh, well, four out of the last five weeks, and tonight we come to verse five in the, in the psalm. So if you will pay attention to the screen or to your Bible, uh, Psalm 23, verse five says this to say, it says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Okay, I got to be honest with you. I don't know how many verses, I don't know really the last time I had a verse like a single verse that gave me more fits than this one did, like trying to study and understand. Sometimes, you know, when you're reading the Bible yourself and you come across a verse, you're like, I don't really get exactly what's going on there. You just kind of like glaze over it. I do that too. But in a a moment like this where I know I'm going to have to teach a verse like this, I can't just say, well, I don't really understand what that's talking about, so I'm just going to move on. Um, In this case, I had to deal with it. And here's what I mean. As you go along, right, we call this series The Shepherd. Because we're talking about, you know, at the very beginning it says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And so we're talking about shepherd sheep themes all the way up through verse 4. Okay? There are different opinions about what happens with verse 5. So 5 and 6, some people say, is a continuation of the, the shepherd sheep thing, that the, the table that's prepared is like a table land that the sheep go, uh, go to in the summer to graze on, and that the oil is oil for their heads to keep the flies away, and... Uh, you know, cup overflows is just like, you know, the metaphor for having water to drink, whatever. You know, it's, it's like you could take it that way, and then, you know, verse 6 is just, you know, the shepherd walking with me or whatever. But there's also other people who say that um, it kind of shifts metaphors here, like it was talking about a shepherd, but now it's something else. It's really talking about like a host who is hosting a guest, uh, and that's why he talks about you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You know, I'm head with oil, my cup overflows, and so I wrestled with that. I was like, man, I don't know. I, I kind of feel like why would he, he change in a six-verse psalm, and I was pretty convinced uh, coming into, even today, like it was more about shepherd sheep than it was the other way around. But as I continue to study it and think, think on these things, I, I'll tell you where I've come to. I think what you see happening in the psalm is a progression further up, further into relationships. So you, you start with, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. In the verse, first three verses, we're talking about looking to a shepherd as a sheep. Then you get to verse 4, and we talked about this last week, how uh, there's a change in reference to the shepherd from third person to, to second person in verse 4. It's no longer talking about the shepherd, but talking to the shepherd in verse 4. So we talked about last week how it's a personal relationship that we have with the shepherd as a sheep. Well, I think this week another step is being taken. The metaphor is moving from simple sheep to shepherd to having a personal relationship uh, with uh, or a host or even in this case, I would look and say a king. Like So it's progression to having a different kind of relationship. We're moving beyond just a simple relationship of sheep with shepherd, but now a, a king potentially hosting a guest. And so it's, we've moved into something a little bit more personal, a little bit more close to home, uh, with us. And so when I read it, it, you could read it like just a host and a guest. 
I like to read it thinking about shepherd and king because I know that the good shepherd is our king, right? And so when David is referencing the shepherd, he doesn't quite know how Jesus is going to come, how he's going to be a good shepherd for us. But we know that on this side of things. So when we look back and we see David talking about a good shepherd uh, acting like a king and hosting at a table, we can go in our minds to, hey, this is a shepherd king, our shepherd king. And so when we look at what we're looking at tonight, that's kind of the like reference point we're coming from, that the metaphor maybe has changed a little bit. And we're looking now at uh, one who is our shepherd king hosting us, who is the sheep. But now, in this case, we're looking at us uh, as a guest at his table, right? And so what we're going to talk about tonight, I want you to know that this, this is a personal relationship kind of thing. And it's only true, the things that we're going to say tonight are only true for those who know Jesus as their good shepherd. Okay, so Jesus has laid down his life for his sheep. He has raised to life again, and this good shepherd is the true king. And we are his if we belong to him. If we are in Christ, we are his. And it's, I want to say there's, it's one thing to believe that Jesus came and Jesus did things. He just died on the cross and even rose from the grave. It's one thing to say that I believe those things are true. It's another thing, I think, to say, hey, Jesus is alive, and not only is he alive, he is king, and he's king over my life. So there's distinct things. I think you can believe in God. I think you can believe in Jesus and him still not be the king of your life. And so there's a distinction here I want us to draw, that he's not, he's not just any shepherd. For those of us who belong to him, he's my shepherd. You know, and he's not just uh, anyone who's leading. He's leading me. I am, I am willing to be led by him. He's the one who gives me the rest that I need. He's the one who restores me. He's the one in whom I find my every provision. Some of the things that we've talked about up to this point, you know, we got to know that he is my shepherd, not just any shepherd. That he is my king, not just any king, right? Not just any Lord. And, and submit ourselves to that. And if we will, we say, this is my shepherd, and, and I submit to him as Lord over my life. I submit to him as Savior, the one that I needed to save me. Then a few things are going to be true for us. So these are going to be our points, the things that are true for us who belong to him. Here's one. Jesus welcomes us to his table. Jesus welcomes us to his table. David says, you prepare before me a table in the presence of my enemies. Y'all probably know how nice it is to be welcomed into somebody's house, you know, and, and to be hosted, right, for them to prepare a meal for you. How nice it is to experience that. It's kind of a, it's like a, a nice, genuine gesture, and it kind of like, uh, it brings a relationship to a new place. Like if it's just somebody who's sort of, you know, like invites you in, it's a different level of relationship, right? The fact that they invite you to the table. And when I read this, I, I think of that. I think of that picture of like being invited in to the table and having a meal prepared for me and be able to sit down to a meal that the Lord has prepared. And so when I read this, you know, I see that, but I even see a step beyond that because the way that it's worded and even the tense of the verb. So the tense of the verb for prepare. When you look at these things, it's like there's an ongoing preparation, there's an ongoing preparation that's been in the works for a while and is now still being laid out continuously for us, like an ongoing provision from God. And it's an amazing thing to think of the Lord preparing a table for us and inviting us to it and then setting before us what only he can provide. And we talked about this in the series up to this point that he's the shepherd I shall not want. When he is my shepherd, I don't lack anything. That even if it feels like I lack things, I know that I don't lack anything because he is the one who provides all things. He's the upholder of all being. And if he's my shepherd, I don't lack a thing. 
As long as I'm walking with him, I have everything that I need. And again, that's true here. He prepares a table for me. He has everything that I need prepared for me. And it's not just, you know, that he is preparing stuff and setting it out there and, uh, you know, there's nothing haphazard about this. It's, it's really there's a sense of intentionality here. There's a ten- intentionality coming from the shepherd, from the shepherd king in this case, right, that he planned to have us. He planned to have us over. We didn't just show up uninvited. It wasn't a haphazard thing. Uh, this whole setting the table, uh, it shows that he had something in mind for us already. That this wasn't unexpected that we would come sit at his table. He's been preparing for this for a long time. And now lays out before us the provision that we need. And I think not only that, but he enjoys having us at the table. He enjoys continuously preparing and continuously setting out what we need. I think there's a the sense of joy in the shepherd, in the king, as he invites us to table and gives us what we need. I think there's a sense of joy in that for him and a sense of welcome with him, a sense of celebration about this whole thing. Like, that's the vibe of this verse. You know, I was reading some commentaries and, uh, you know, really trying to study this verse and figure out what, you know, that, that dilemma in my head of which way should I go with this thing. And really one thing that stuck out is that there is this sense of celebration about this. When you look at it, you're like, a table prepared in the sense of like a feast, right? And not only that, but like an anointing of, of my head with oil, like that is something significant that I can't imagine would have happened at every meal, right? And an overflowing cup. There's like a, a celebration of some kind going on with all these things. And this sense of like welcome and joy with the Lord who provides for us. But we don't stop even at that, uh, at, at his preparing the table because there's more to that phrase. He says, you prepare uh, a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You know, in the presence of my enemies. And really what that means is like before the face of those who would bind me or those who would do me harm. Like that's the sense that you get from reading the original language. Like he prepares this feast, prepares this table before the face of people who would try to do me harm. And it's, it's interesting when you, when you look at this, like, who are our enemies? You think about it like, oh, that's a really cool, that's a, that's a cool idea to think of the Lord preparing a table for me in the presence of my enemies. But who are my enemies? You know, David had some really obvious enemies. If you read the Old Testament, you read that he uh, had some enemies at, at multiple times in his life. And as he's writing this, he probably had in mind some literal people enemies or groups of people enemies. And we too may face human opposition. We might have enemies people that, that don't want us to follow the Lord, people that don't want us to experience joy, people who don't want to see us at the table of the Lord, enjoying his good presence and his provision. You know, look what Jesus said in John 15 and 16. So I, I've just taken a couple verses out of both of those chapters because it's all in one conversation that Jesus is having with his disciples. Uh, John 15, it's 18 through 20, and then John 16, 2 and 3. It says, he says to his disciples, this is the the night that he's going to go be arrested and the next day he'll be crucified. He says, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant's not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they'll also persecute you. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he's offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. And so Jesus is trying to make it plain to his disciples, and I think he's, he would like to make it plain to us too when we read the text in, in John chapter 16 and 15, 
that we're going to face some opposition. That not everybody's going to just be cool with us trying to follow Jesus. Honestly, if you really try to walk with Jesus in your life, you're going to face some people who are like, that doesn't make sense to me. I don't like the fact that you're doing that. In a sense, maybe there's some jealousy there. Maybe they sense a sense of judgment from you because you're really trying to follow the Lord and they're really not. You know, and you're going to catch some of that opposition. But I think it also makes sense to consider a different kind of enemy here too. How much have you guys thought about spiritual warfare? Anybody like really into that? You're like, I want to read books about that. I want to find out all the, the scriptural texts. Like I, I find that really fascinating. And I've read books on that and stuff and, and read articles and listened to people talk about it and all that stuff. When I'm bringing up spiritual warfare right here, I don't necessarily mean like talking about demon possession or battles between angels and demons, uh, like cosmic powers and things that are going on. Although those things do spark a lot of curiosity in us. When I bring it up here, I'm really talking about more about the war that goes on for our hearts and minds. Like a sense of, of spiritual battle for us. You realize that we face spiritual opposition, right? You guys know that we face spiritual opposition. When we're trying to walk with Jesus, we also have enemies who are trying to combat that, trying to keep us from doing that. Opposition, uh, there's opposition to us growing in the faith and growing in our relationship with God. Peter makes it clear, 1 Peter 5.8, he says, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. I don't think sometimes we think about this, we're like, man, I, Satan is just tempting me, and I just, you know, I'm, I'm bothered, I'm pestered by, by the devil, he just keeps trying to come after me. I was listening, it's interesting, I was listening to a podcast called Becoming Something here just a couple days ago, and they had an episode about angels and demons, and he made a, a fair point, Jonathan Pecluda, he was saying that uh, you've probably never run into the devil. Like there's probably some other people that he is more interested in uh, being the sort of point person or point uh, demon trying to corrupt. But you think about it, when you read scripture, and of course it's, it's all in like veiled language, we don't quite understand exactly how things went down, but you look in like a place like Revelation 12, we see that like a third of the angels fell with Satan. And you think about, I don't know how many angels there are, but two-thirds of them are still serving the Lord and being faithful, and a third are serving Satan, right? And that is who we're up against. We have a real opposition, a real enemy in a spiritual realm that we can't see. And that may, be seem, that may seem like a really weird thing to think about, and it kind of is. It's kind of a weird thing to consider that, that that's what we're up against. And yet, you know, the scriptures speak to this being a reality. And it seems to be that their desire is to work against us as God's chosen creatures. That I really believe that the demons hate us for having been made in the image of God. They hate us because they know that God loves us so much. And they want us to, to stand against God, to rebel against God as they have, right? And they aim to influence uh, the culture around us, they aim to speak lies to us through the culture. They aim to speak lies to us through even our, our sinful nature desires. And they want to distract us from becoming who God wants us to be. They want to distract us from the relationship that God wants us to have with him. In every way, they want to pull us back. And that might make us fearful, but it doesn't have to. Why does it not have to make us fearful that this is a reality that we're up against? Because we have a table prepared for us by a loving shepherd king who knows all about our enemies. And he's already defeated them. 
He's already overcome the one who had the power of death and held that over our heads because he faced death on our behalf and he's risen from it and they know about him. And now he prepares a table before us, before their faces, and they have to look on and see that. I know for a fact that these enemies know their time is short because the scriptures say so. They know their time is short. They witnessed Jesus' death and resurrection. They know what he's done and they know what's to come. And they're just, their whole agenda then, in a, in a real sense, is just, I just want to pull away as many people as possible between now and then. But in a real sense, they have no power over us who are in Christ. They have no power over us who are in Christ. In a real sense, they can only watch as we sit at the table with the king. They stand to the side, and it's before their faces that we sit with the Lord, our shepherd king, and, and enjoy his good provision and enjoy his presence. I don't know what kind of temptation you face. I don't know how defeated you feel in that temptation. But if you're in Christ, you've been welcomed to the table where God is and where God can and does supply everything that you really need. And these enemies, they cannot keep you from finding all that you need at the table with the Lord. They can't. They have no power over you. Their only tactic is to try to convince you that God actually isn't providing what's best for you. It's their age-old plan. Satan in the garden, right? God's holding something back from you. That's the only thing they've got to say, hey, look, look what the Lord's providing for you. I don't think it's enough. I think he's holding something back from you. They want to pull you away from the table and say, hey, God, God is not providing something for you. There's something else that you can get over here. When in reality, everything that we really need is right there with the Lord. But man, they're going to spit these lies to us all day. And we can't believe the lie. Don't give in and believe the lie. Because you belong at the table of the king if you are in Christ. And you will forever be in the household of the king, Jesus, and richly provided for forever. And, you know, you see what follows this next, uh, the next couple of verses after that, 1 Peter 5.8. So we read 1 Peter 5.8 where it says, you know, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Well, the next verses say, resist him. Firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you've suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. He says, look, it may feel like suffering for a little while in this resistance. But he wouldn't say resist him if we couldn't. By the Holy Spirit that is at work within us, we can resist these temptations. We can resist giving in and believing the lie that God is holding something back from us. And here's the thing. You're going to experience some sense of lack in this life. You're going to feel that little tension in your soul of like, I know there's some things that I want. I don't feel like those things are really being met by the Lord right now. And so the lies of the devil and the lies of his demons are going to sound really appealing, sound like the truth. But I promise you, if there's anything that the Lord is, is not giving you that you feel like you need, or that you feel like you really want, if there's anything that it seems like he's holding back from you, I promise you it's because he knows exactly what you need and what you don't. And in everything that he is giving and in everything that he is holding back, maybe that you want in this life, his aim is to get you to where he is forever. Because where he is forever, every single desire that you've ever had at its core will be fulfilled with him for all those days. So this life as we're suffering for a little while and resisting the devil. We're doing that alongside other brothers and sisters around the world. 
We're not in this alone. We're all doing this together. And if we will resist him, even when we feel that sense of lack, even when the, the lies sound really appealing and sound really true, if we'll resist that, then in a real sense, we're going to be with him forever and experience all of our desires fulfilled forever. In a very real sense, he is preparing a table right now for a feast that will take place after Jesus returns, and we have that to look forward to. So whether you are up against any human opposition right now or if it's only the unseen enemies that are, that are combating you at this moment, no matter the case, just know the table is set for you. The shepherd welcomes you in to sit down and receive what you need in him. There's a second point I want us to see, that if we are in Christ, Jesus bestows honor upon us. Jesus bestows honor upon us. I want to be really clear, and I want to let you know, in case you didn't know this already, we don't deserve any honor or glory from the Lord. We don't deserve any honor or glory, really necessarily from fellow people. We don't deserve these things. We don't. Uh, we haven't earned it. It's his glory and his honor. He is the one who deserves all these things. That's why we sing praises to him. We honor and glorify him with our lives because he is the one who is worthy of those things. He's the only one who's worthy of honor. And yet it says here that Yahweh, this Lord that David is talking about, who prepares this table for me, has anointed my head with oil. That may not sound like a whole lot to you, um, but in the ancient Near East, they used oil for all kinds of things. All kinds of different things, some, some healing, some uh, you know, crazy uses or whatever. But one of those things that they used to use oil for would be a way of distinguishing or someone or setting them apart. Uh, and in particular, in the Old Testament, they were set apart for, uh, for the Lord's purposes. So something anointed with oil would be kind of distinguished or set apart as in service to the Lord. So a king would be anointed with oil before the Lord. Priests and certain parts of the temple in Exodus were anointed with oil uh, to be used for the Lord. And Jesus was recognized on a couple of occasions when he stepped into people's homes. He was recognized with oil, like because he was a distinguished guest in the household. And so that's kind of what we're seeing here, the sense of like he's anointing my head with oil has a sense of, like distinguishment or like being set apart for service to the Lord. Have you ever thought much about the status change for us when we become Christian? The status change before God when he redeems us. Think about this. We go from condemned to redeemed. We go from spiritually dead to spiritually alive. We go from enemy of God to son or daughter of God. We're set apart for his divine purposes. We have a status change. And not only that, you, you see that uh, in the New Testament, Jesus is called Messiah. So he's called Messiah, which means anointed one. It comes from the Hebrew word most often used for anointing. And so even the word that we use uh, right here, the word in our passage tonight where he says anoint is not that word, but used in this context, it means essentially the same thing, the sense of anointing. So the point is to say that Jesus, Jesus is the ultimate anointed one. So this, I don't want us to make this about us, like, okay, he, he honors us. In a real sense, I want us to say, hey, the Lord is the one who is honored. He is the one who is anointed and set apart from us. But let's consider this. The anointed one has chosen to anoint us. The anointed one has anointed us. Look at 2 Corinthians 1, 20, 21 and 22. 
This is Paul saying to the Corinthians, he says, and it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us and who has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. You know, that Greek word that we use for Christ, Jesus Christ is Christos, and there it's connected. So Jesus Christ, those of us who are established in Christ and has anointed us, anointed is Christos. So it's from the same root word. So it's like he's saying the anointed one, we are, we are in the anointed one, and we are anointed. And specifically, we are anointed through the spirit that is given to us as believers. The spirit is what is our anointing, essentially. Like when we are given this spirit, that is when we are anointed with him. And really, if you look at the verb tense there of anoint in our passage, it is perfect tense. And if you don't know anything about tenses, that means it's a completed thing. A completed thing with lasting results, right? And so we have been anointed in Christ with the Spirit. So that any of us who are in Christ have been anointed in this way. Because Jesus the Good Shepherd was set apart for his divine purposes, we too can be set apart by faith in him. Look at what uh, Paul says about Jesus in Philippians 2, 9 and 11. He says this, Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus is exalted and glorified for what he has done. He was the anointed one who came, who was looked forward to from the Old Testament. He fulfilled everything that he was sent here to fulfill, anointed for. And now he's been given this name that is above every other name, so that at the name of, of Jesus, everyone would bow down. And because we are, now, we are now connected to Jesus through salvation and through receiving his Holy Spirit, we enjoy the overflow of his glory. Because we are connected to him, now we enjoy the overflow of his glory. The fact that he is glorified when we are in him means that we experience the fullness of his glory. I know that's hard to understand, but check this out. Ephesians 2, 4 through 7 says, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. What he's saying is like right now, spiritually speaking, if you are in Christ, your status has been moved from, again, spiritually dead to spiritually alive. But not only that, you have been raised with Christ and you are seated with him in the heavenly places now. You are seated with him at the table now. And you experience some of the richness of his glory and fullness even now. And that in coming ages, we're going to experience the fullness, the absolute fullness, the immeasurable riches of his grace. And so we have this. We have these truths from Scripture. And I want to go to great lengths like that to, to bring in several Scripture texts because I want to paint the picture for us. I want us to get this, that in Christ we receive so much more than just a get-out-of-hell-free card. I think sometimes we come to Christ and we're like, you know, maybe we come at a young age and we just, I don't want to go to hell. I don't want to die in my sin. I want to be forgiven, right? But there's so much more than that for us. He's invited us into his kingdom. He's invited us into his house. He has elevated us so far beyond the place that we had deserved. What we deserve is, is hell. What we deserve is condemnation. What we deserve is spiritual death. 
We do not deserve his mercy. We do not deserve anything that he has given us, and he has exalted us to a place that we don't deserve. And in that way, he is placing honor on us that we didn't earn for ourselves. He earned it for us and has given it to us. Without Jesus, we'd have no place at the table at all. But he's extended this welcome to us. He's set us apart. He's called us his special guests. And even more than that, he's adopted us into his family. Not only are we invited in to sit at the table and say, okay, you can have your fill now, go. We're invited in to stay as sons and daughters of this king. We are welcome with Yahweh God, the one that David called his shepherd because of what Jesus has done on our behalf. And we have his presence all the time with us, with his spirit. So we've been set apart. There's a reason that we're called to be holy as he is holy, because we have the Holy Spirit within us. We're set apart in that way. And on account of these things, we do not have to wonder how God feels about us. He has made it abundantly clear how he feels about us. And we don't have to wonder if we belong with him or with the church, because he has exalted us to a place of honor just by bringing us to the table in the first place and giving us his spirit to be with us in his presence. This goes for every single one of us who are in Christ. None of us distinguish from one another, but all of us having been elevated to a place that we didn't deserve. Not only that, here's the third thing. In Christ, our cup never runs dry. The psalmist says, my cup overflows. My cup overflows. And the picture we get here is the the abundance of provision at this table with the shepherd king. It's more than enough. It's overflowing. You know, and, and we get this sense of like, I could drink from this cup over and over again and never see the bottom. But what does that mean? What does that mean for us? Like, is that just a spiritual thing? Right? And, and we look at this and we say, you know, our experience would tell us that it can't mean that we always just have an abundance of material things. We know that that's not the case. We don't always have an abundance. We're not overflowing with, with material things. Our food and drink eventually run out. Our money eventually runs out. Right? And everything we own wears out. And we also know that it can't mean, you know, just energy or like good vibes or whatever, because we have all experienced ups and downs. Like we know. We know there's ebbs and flows. We physically know that. Our relationships have ups and downs. Our attitudes, our mental energy, man, we don't we don't always have it. Right? So so it can't mean that all those things are what is overflowing. What is it that we always have that's always overflowing and never running out? What is it that we never see the bottom of that would lead us to say that with the psalmist, my cup overflows? And here's the Sunday school answer for you. The answer is Jesus. It's not all these other things, maybe that we wish God would just make overflow and abundance in our life. The thing that we really need is overflowing, and that is Jesus. Jesus for us. You know, if I find in him all that I need one time, And we all have who have come to salvation in him. We have found everything that we needed in him for salvation. If I have found that one time, then I know that I have that in him every time I return to him. Every time that I come to him, I can trust that I still find him to be enough. And not only enough, but more than enough. Overflowing even what I need from him. Because who he was when he saved us is the same as he is today. Hebrews 13.8, I don't have it on the screen, but it's real simple. It says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And that's true. And honestly, if you think about this, think about this whole verse. This whole verse is shouting to us, Jesus. Who sets the table? Jesus. Who invites us to the table? Jesus. Who provides what we need when we need it? Jesus. Who has thwarted the plans of our enemies by bringing us into his presence and having them have to watch us sit at the table? Jesus. 
Who anoints our heads with oil to set us apart? Jesus. What is the anointing we receive? The spirit of Jesus. Whose glory do we benefit from that brings worth and honor to us who receive him? Jesus. It makes sense that Jesus would be what overflows for us. And that's what we really need. If we knew what we needed, we would know that what we really need is for Jesus to be what is overflowing for us. So that we can come to Jesus over and over again with our failures and never find the bottom of his grace. So that we can come to Jesus over and over again with our struggles and never find the end of his patience. We can come to Jesus over and over again with our needs and never find the end of his supply. We can come to Jesus in our hurts and our joys and the ups and downs and the wants and the plenty. And I'm telling you that you never reach the end of contentment that he can bring to you, no matter what the circumstances are. You never reach the end. There is no bottom. You'll never reach the end of his love or his mercy or his gentleness or his welcome. He is the cup that overflows. So if you do not know this Jesus, I don't know what you'd be waiting for. I don't know what lies you may have believed about him. But I'm telling you, Jesus stands ready to save. The invitation to the table is, is ready right now. For all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You believe in your heart uh, that God raised him from the dead. Right? You believe that Jesus is everything that he said he is, that he did everything he said he, he did, and believe that he is reigning right now as Lord and Savior, and you call on him to be your Lord and Savior, you can be saved. And if you do know Jesus right now, I'd ask you, what are you striving for? What is it that you still feel like you need or still feel like you want? Why is it that you continue to believe lies of our enemies? Because he has proven his love for you already. He's already called you up out of darkness into marvelous light. That's what Peter says. 1 Peter chapter 2, calls you out of darkness into his marvelous light. He's already done this for you. He's set you apart as his own. He's fought your battles for you. He's already won. Despite that sense of ongoing battle that you feel, he's already won the battle. It's already decisively taken care of for you. The enemies that come against you can really only look on as you sit at the table with the Lord in his presence. So what are you striving for? Like sit with him right now. Enjoy his good provision through his word that we're talking about right now. Enjoy his good provision and the good gifts that he's given you, knowing that he is providing everything that you actually need day to day. I hope that you see that right now he's revealing to you that he is an overflowing cup, that he's more than enough for you. Just enjoy for the moment the fact that in Christ you have victory and you have freedom and you have hope, you have love, and that it's overflowing and it never ends. And receive this, that he has given us his word so that in it we might be certain of what he has done and continues to do for us. That he has prepared the table and that he continues to prepare the table. And that there is a table that is to come that we can't wait to, to get there to. So be certain that through Jesus you can say to the Lord what the psalmist says. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows.